When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Epsock for another edition of our Game of Thrones Rewatch. Available in podcast form and in YouTube form with full-on Ken face mode. That's right. You get to see me today. Just me today. I always feel the need to apologize. Don't worry. Some cool people on the way to discuss the Game of Thrones themes, big moments, favorite lines, favorite characters, and biggest heartbreaking moments. Well, we are, we are at perhaps the biggest one today. What we are discussing is episode nine of season one, Baylor. Oh boy, this is the big one. This is the one that uh, changed the landscape, not just for Game of Thrones, but for TV. This is the one that got the show from, you know, a healthy, exciting, good 2.2 million viewers, roughly in the early going with the pilot. I think about 2.6 million for this one. Those numbers would be a thing of the past by the end of the show's run. And I think it's because of things like this, but I trace a lot of it back to this because this is the no, no. That's a phone. That's a phone because we, even back then, we used to call people more than text them. I sound like an old guy, but I am. Hey, uh, so let's go back to that original air date. June 12th, 2011, director Alan Taylor. I do believe, I do believe this is his first go-around. He wasn't originally supposed to do it. Uh, the Fire Cannot Kill Dragon, great book. I'm almost finished with it. I had a little delay on finishing the book, but good stuff from Alan Taylor. Like, jump it in, and he's got to do this one. Uh, and he also did, um, he also did, uh, you know, episode uh, 10. Um, so uh, the writer's Benioff and Weiss, cinematographer, Alik Sakharov, Sakharov, excuse me. I always say that wrong. I'm such a jerk. Editing Francis Parker. That's the uh, stats and figures on this episode. But let's go beyond that. Let's go to our reactions, our emotions. That's what I'm even more interested than who watched and how many people watched and the ratings and the reviews. Fun to look back. This is an episode. This is a moment in my life. This is why this is as big as, as it is. This is a moment of my life. Uh, Challenger exploding. I, I remember that day. 9-11's big. I'm not comparing the Game of Thrones to 9-11, but we all remember every second, every minute of where we were. There's all those kind of things. And yes, this is in that type of category of I remember where I was, who I was with, in this case, by myself with a dachshund, and I remember what happened and the phone calls. My buddy Christian Harloff, a lot of you, of course, know him from Schmoes. No, SEN, uh, he called me right after. Because, you know, you know, you were all watching kind of live uh, at 6 p.m. Pacific, our time, where I was at. So the episode, I mean, the f- phone off, ringing, phone off the hook. Uh, cell phone, not a rotary phone. You know, I'm not that old. Uh, and we talked for a half hour. Half hour. Now, I hadn't read the books yet at this point. I had, by this point, I had the that four-pack of those paperbacks before they, you know, added a Dance of Dragons. Like, that four-pack of the, of, of the of the paperback copies. The blue, the green, uh, red, yellow, I believe, right? Um, or maybe reversed it. Uh, whatever the colors were. doesn't matter. Small detail. That was, that was, I had that. I was ready to crack it open. I determined after season one, I was get I was cracking open the books and diving on in, which I ended up doing, of course. So at this point, Ned's gone. 
I, I, I don't, I don't know if I believe it. I definitely don't, don't want it. I, I was blown away. And, and Harloff and I are on the phone talking for 35 minutes, maybe. And he's pissed. He's upset. And he says, and I'll never forget these words. He goes, well, this is, I, I, mean, I almost didn't want to watch, but this is Jon Snow's story now. It has to be. Otherwise, why am I watching? Why am I watching? Uh, because uh, he was, um, he was upset. He was upset. I was upset. I was confused. This doesn't happen. This isn't Boromir, right? We've got the Sean Bean dies jokes. I get it. But this isn't Boromir. He's part of nine. The focus is on Frodo, Aragorn. You get that. Even even if you, you know, you're not super familiar with Lord of the Rings and you're just watching the movies for the first time. Sean Bean's there. You, you know, it 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 attracts. You're not watching Goldeneye thinking 006 is gonna do a lot of surviving and being at the lead of the story, all right? Sean Bean dies there as Trevelyan twice. This wasn't like that. This was the lead. This is the poster guy. And all those things you read and hear about, most of you are with me. You're there. You're here. You are uh, right with me knowing exactly where you are on June 12th, 2011. Um, but even then, we can't. I, you can't undercut uh, what this actually meant and what it did. Ripples. Ripples. In fact, we've got a call about that. I'm going to play that right now. Addy, check it in with some uh, thoughts on the last episodes of season one uh, and uh, kind of along the line of, of more of the an emotional reaction and what it meant uh, to her and her brother. Here we go. Hey, Ken and Casterly Talk, Addy again. As we approach the end of our season one rewatch, I've been thinking back on when I first saw season one. Um, my brother and I were watching it. We lived in different states, different time zones even, And he would call me up. He had not read the books at this point, and I had at least read the first one. And I can remember him going into the last couple episodes of the season, basically saying to me that his favorite characters were Ned and Drogo. And if anything happened to them, it was going to be just, he wasn't going to watch Game of Thrones anymore which wasn't true. Um, And I'm just curious because Ken, you've remarked that you hadn't read the books yet either. I know some of your crew had, I'm curious if anyone else had or other listeners had moments like that, that they look back on and it's a fond memory. It's a fun thing. The game of Thrones brought me and my brother together on this and just interested to hear. Great stuff. Great stuff, Addy. And yes, I put a, put a call to action. At the end of, uh, we got uh, this episode, episode 10. We can, we can also do an episode of, of uh, you know, your reactions, your memories of actually experiencing the show. Book reader, did this live up to your expectations, uh, this scene? Uh, did it not? Um, what did you do? Were you one of those people that taped someone on your couch with you because you knew what's coming? Are you like Addie's brother? Or like, there's three characters that must survive at the end of season one. They are as follows. Uh, and, and just have your heart broken. Like this is this is why we're talking about it years later. Why I decided to do this rewatch now and do it with a deeper dive into the themes and moments is these are the these are the moments that, that pulled us in. I love what Addie said too about her her brother and her kind of uh, you know bonding coming coming together over that too. This is what these things can do. All right, let's dive in. Uh, let's dive in to. The episode. Oh, one of the notes. Yeah, I had this note for myself to talk about. This this particular episode. Uh, it just, but but really all of them in season one. This is just a stacked episode of great moments. When you just you're sitting on your porch drinking a peach tea, uh, uh, having a hot dog. I don't know what you're doing on your porch. Why are you having tea and a hot dog? I don't know. But you're there. You're there, and you're just looking back on Game of Thrones. Oh, I love that scene. Oh, that's one of my favorite moments. Oh, that one too. They're obviously throughout all eight seasons, but season one, there's just a lot of them. And, and you, you you hear me all often mention, oh, I like that scene where Jamie's talking about uh, his first kill. Oh, that's season one. Oh, I love Robert and Cersei. They're talking about their marriage. Holding, oh, that's right. That, that's season one. Uh, did it, season one, season one, season one. I think we might have been spoiled. And this is not a comment on on anything that came after. Good seasons, bad seasons, good choices, great choices, bad choices. Doesn't matter to me. I think season one just, it's one of the finer first seasons of television ever. And there's a lot of you, a lot of you out there have your own list of what, uh, of what those choices are and what that means to you. I always give the example of Rescue Me, season one of Rescue Me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that show. 
but that season one is just beat for beat, near perfection. It's it just sets the tone and all those things you want a season one to do. But it, it is this, it takes you on this powerful journey, and therefore, any other choices in in, the, in subsequent seasons are held up to that first season, and sometimes they don't hold up. Rescue Me goes in some different directions. I've t- I've talked about that before here on this channel. Same with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones continues to be Game of Thrones. It just it just gets bigger and, and louder and bolder and 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 at times for for me deeper. But season one is just hit after hit after hit. It is it's that first album from a band and now it's a greatest hits album and every single was just clicking and they hadn't got to their experimental phase phase uh, yet. They they. Uh, you know, the songs weren't nine minutes long, full of, uh, you know, uh, Coke and Ego, like an Oasis record later on, and I'm a big Oasis fan. Uh, it wasn't that. So it, I just was watching this particular episode, Baylor, just and just thinking to myself, it, just, it is just beat for beat, near perfection, much like this season. And in a way, hate to say it, I almost wonder, were we spoiled? Were we spoiled? Now let the smarter thinkers and philosophers out there answer that question. Let's get into the themes and lessons. So here's, here's what it is. I, you know, and this is why I love doing the show with Ace or, or Rachel. We're ready to get Lon on there. Michelle Boyd's coming in soon. We got some surprises. Uh, Thomas Rizzling's going to get back. I'm going to drag him in um, to this soon. So I love getting other people's thoughts in a roundtable discussion. Uh, me, uh, by myself, barfing into a microphone. Uh, I, I, my mind goes to where I kind of want to focus, right? It's just, it's going to look on things, uh, in a particular way. And I got to I was kind of surprised, pulled out, um, my little notepad for this episode and was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting in terms of, of themes and lessons and uh, what these characters go through. Like, you know, it's, it's Baylor. Ned dies. Daenerys Cal Drogo, that big kind of crescendo. Like, there's a lot going on here. Tyrion, Shay, a lot of it. But I was kind of surprised at this theme, and it popped up. And I once I once it pops up, I just you can't not see it. We talk about honor. We talk about duty, sacrifice, who you serve, and all those questions are here in this episode, as they are in every episode. And big about family. Listen to director Alan Taylor talk about this episode, but Game of Thrones in general, say Game of Thrones in a lot of way is about family. It's a family show, what you do with family and how you honor family legacy or how you get away from family legacy. And I think that is uh, that is one of those universal truths. And, and all those kind of things are uh, in this episode. And, and I and like universal tru- truth for Game of Thrones. It's all there. But the one that jumped out, I got to tell you, it's the art of the deal. Making deals. Coming to agreements, there are big, big deals putting for the podcast listeners, putting quotation marks or half quotation marks around deals. Because there are a lot of people that make deals that cost them at some point, some very quick within this episode, Ned Stark, some a little bit later on, and some are step one on a bigger slippery slope fall. Um, some are deals they make that go that they break and, and, and cause problems for themselves for themselves. And so from that starting point, that just jumped out about Baylor. Again, there's a lot of other things, but the the deal. Uh and and we'll start with uh, the big one that ends the episode, but really it's, it's it's kind of the start of the episode. And that is Ned making this deal for his daughters. Um Specifically, Sansa, Arya's on the run, right? But um, he's down there. He and Varys have those girls. I love the Ned and Varys black cell conversations, even the ones from the previous episodes. Great stuff. And Conleth Hill, Sean Bean kind of going toe-to-toe. It's just it's just a joy to watch, talk about being, being spoiled. Varys has some great stuff in here about the roles we play. Which is another question. Uh, the 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 idea that, that Ned has already had this conversation with him about uh, you know you did nothing and Varys is, you know do you do you look at me and see a hero? But the roles we play too in all of this and 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 why we play them and 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 the need to play them strategically too. Picel, I was good at Picel. 
I remember watching him, uh, and, and what is that? That's actually in episode 10, right? Of, of, of the reveal with Roz that Pycelle walks normally and he's putting on a, he's putting on a show. I remember thinking when I first saw that, oh, that's, oh, I wonder what that's going to be. That's going to be, it's never addressed again. The famous deleted scene of Tywin fishing, like it's never really addressed again. He dies pretending to, to be hunched over and old and broken. Maybe by then he actually was, you know? But the roles we play, the facades we put up, Baelish and Varys know this more than anyone. Look around. We're all liars here. Like, this is, these are those big Game of Thrones questions. And if so, Varys, I really like his roles we play. But that kind of leads into Ned needing to play a different role and, and play the role, to me, of protective father. His great line, um, when Varys is, you know, trying to convince him to do this and, and just plain, simply just screaming at him, I want you to serve the realm. I love that moment. We talked previously about that as a guiding light, that is a guiding force for Varys. Serve the realm. He'll do it to his last dying breath. Serves the realm. Uh, I, I love that about Varys. And it reframes him, when you really go back and rewatch it, reframes Varys as more of a, Good guy than you maybe first believed. Uh, again, complicated shades of gray in this show and these, this story. Of course, of course, of course. But Varys starts with that and ends with that. Uh, and I like that. I like that about Varys. But the roles we play, serving the realm, all these questions, honor, duty. Ned's response of, you think my life is some precious thing to me. And the great speech of roles we play about, I'm a soldier. You're an actor, I'm a soldier. I learned to die a long time ago. For Varys to, to leave that conversation on, what of your daughter's life, Lord Stark? Is that a precious thing to you? Puts Ned into this uncomfortable spot for him. Protective father, he's very protective. We get that stuff later on that I, I mention often about Arya and Sansa kind of saying, yeah, you know, dad was great. Didn't raise us perfectly for this world, or maybe overprotected us and didn't prepare us for some of the harsh realities. But we love him, and Dad, Dad did well. We Dad did well by us. But Ned is a soldier, telling Septim Mordain, oh, war is easier than daughters. Ha, 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 that's funny, but it's true. And, and, and so in this moment, he is someone who wants to, he is about protecting children. That is a, that is a theme. Something we've uh, we've discussed on here before, but it, it is a theme. Giving Cersei a chance to leave. I don't I don't want there to be bloodshed for your kids. Get your kids. Get out of here. I'm going to tell everyone, I'm going to tell everyone the truth. Um, protecting uh, Arya, as we see on Baylor, and that's one of his final things. Is at least he knows Arya's gone or out there, safe or not seeing it. And this is a like I said, it is for both the girls, but because it's. I kind of see it as specific to, to Sansa um, working with the queen and, and, and then the final, even that final moment where Ned's about to confess and he looks up and he, and he sees Sansa and he kind of has a like, uh, are you sure? Is it, is this good? Do we, we've made the deal. I'm going to take the black. We're good. Right. And you're safe. And Sansa, of course, like, yes, yes, you are with the nod. Joffrey tosses that out. I believe we can get to that. Maybe later too, but I I believe Cersei would have honored that. Maybe maybe on the King's Road she would have had Ned killed or tried to you know something like that. I, I, yeah, of course it's Cersei, but I I think for this moment, I think Cersei's smart enough to know uh, uh, what, what's the line: a tame wolf is is better than a, a dead wolf, has more value than a dead wolf to her. Joffrey plays his role, plays what he thinks is a is a king. Uh, uh, a powerful king, a strong king. No one will mercy. Uh, my mother and 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 sense have uh, the, the weak heart of women. What a what a great guy Joffrey is. But he's trying to play the role of king. But Ned has made this deal. I think it's a deal he had to make. I think it's a deal he made in good faith. But a lot of this to me is because he ends up in a spot because he doesn't want to make deals before. He, he tries when he does try to he does try to make a deal with Baelish. It backfires, and now he tries to make a deal to get out of it. He's just he's just in a bad bargaining position to to put, just put in, in in base basic business terms. Uh, and um, it costs him right then and there. 
Again, it's not necessarily the deal that costs him. I do believe Cersei holds up her end of the bargain under different circumstances, but I think he's in that position. And it speaks to him. Varys says those words. And it's something, I got to tell you, especially early on watching the show, I, this is why I love going back to themes. This starts to become apparent later on, but it, it could be one of those little things. You're so caught up in the hows and the whats. This is why I preach on that stuff. I just bang that drum. The hows and the whats. Always ask for the whys. Always uh, always dig for the whys. I, I think it's 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 easy to overlook Varys saying, what of your daughter's life, Lord Stark? And, and that's why he... He did it because Varys is screaming, serve the realm. This is part of serving the realm. And that doesn't click for Ned. I'm not saying Ned's, no one would say Ned's a bad guy, but you know, Ned doesn't, not that Ned doesn't care for the realm, but he thinks uh, what's right, Stannis, that's right for the realm. What is right is right. We got to go that way. And Varys kind of saying, no, I need the people, the realm itself, serve them serve them and that is doesn't click with Ned and it needs to be broken down to your daughter part of the realm a person in the realm your daughter don't think about the think about the big picture think about this and because it clicks in it's a, it's a powerful thing it's a it's a deal a deal again I think he has to take and 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 but the fact that he's in that position is what gets him in the end there is this great thing here uh and uh, we got a call from Eric Monroe about this I want to play it's a great moment where Ned just kind of plainly asks, couldn't, uh, couldn't you break me out? You keep coming down here. You keep sneaking down here. Let's sneak on out. Barris simply says, I could, but I won't. So uh, Eric Monroe, our good friend Eric, has called in with this thought about that. Uh, we're going to hear it now. Hey, Ken and Casually Talk. So episode nine, this is a very, very big episode. The ramifications of what happens in this episode are huge. And there's always, there's always been a, like a small part of me that kind of wishes that I went into that episode not knowing what was going to happen because the shock of what happens with Ned definitely would have been amazing. But even knowing what was going to happen, it still was shocking to watch it. And one of the ramifications of the execution of Ned Stark, and I don't think it's talked about enough, is Varys and what he does in season four when he frees Tyrion. I really feel part of the reason he does that is because I think a part of him regrets not freeing Ned because he clearly, in my opinion, did not know Joffrey was going to have him executed. Because I believe if Varys knew Joffrey was going to have him executed and not send Ned to the wall, he might have changed his mind and tried to free him because he served the realm and he knew with Ned dead, the realm would suffer. Absolutely. There it is right there. There's that uh, guiding light, guiding principle for Varys. And is it easy to second guess anyone who would have thought, including Cersei, I mean, definitely she gets second guessed by um, her father and Tyrion all the time, especially in season two, right? When Tyrion shows up to kind of hold her hand as the hand. I I, I think it's too easy to look at those folks and and say, yeah, y'all, y'all, Y'all fell for Joffrey? Like, did you think he was not going to do that? But I think at this point that was less known, right? Less known, especially if you don't believe he is the um, son of incest and, and the dangers that can pose. If you, just, if you just think, hey, he's a young king, uh, Cersei seems like she's got a good handle on him. Clearly, she's driving this deal. If you're Varys and Baelish, there's a lot of things going on. Baelish loves his chaos. I, I don't think... Even he, you know, we don't see that. We don't have that scene where Baelish contemplates. Maybe he's just uh, talking to Roz uh, while uh, she's uh, handling a customer uh, and, and think, I think Joffrey's going to uh, renege on the deal. I, we don't get to see that scene. We could have had that. So I don't fault Varys at all, but I do agree with Eric. I think what's best for the realm is Ned alive. Otherwise, there is war. It's already happening. It's already brewing. Tyrion and being captured, uh, uh, already causing problems. So, Rob marching down. We're going to have war. Not good for the people. Not good for the realm. So, Varys is definitely there. And, yeah, I going to the Tyrion Season 4 escape, I, I don't know if it's as big as for the realm, but at the same time, show-only version, Varys travels with Tyrion to Illyrio Apothos's uh, manor, and though we don't see Illyrio, there's a little bit of that Targaryen restoration plan in play. A little different in the show, I understand. 
but I think maybe Varys feels that is better for the realm. Let's go over there. Dust Tyrion off. He has that conversation with him. Was it uh, beginning of season five? Uh, not looking for a king now. Now we're looking for a queen. We may have found one. This is going to be good. And I think you'd be good in that because you're damn good at the game. You play your role well. So I think, I think because, you know, Tyrion is, is, Tyrion's going to be, you know, the, the mountain, the, the, the viper in the mountain has happened. Uh, uh, Tyrion's, Tyrion's death, uh, again, I don't think has the ramifications as Ned's does, but there's a lot of things in Varys's mind that I think in that moment he probably just feels this is the right thing to do. So I think I think Eric's right. Uh, thinking aloud here, but I, I think Eric's right, tying it back to that, that uh, maybe Varys had definitely some some thoughts. I, I, I This is one of the things I love about Solo, a Star Wars story, where Han does walk away when offered a chance to help. It's not quite the rebellion yet, but Infus Ness offers, offers, uh, offers him that chance and He's not going to do it, and, and ten years later, when that kind of situation comes up again, uh, I I think he he not only thinks about it, I think Chewbacca thinks about it. But that's a different podcast. You can listen to Force Center, and we'll talk all about that. So that's the big one there. That's the big deal that's made. It's one that is uh, very clear. But the deals continue. We are we are rolling with more deals here on uh, Baylor episode nine. Rob needs a bridge. He needs a bridge, and this was a good deal, relatively speaking. But it was a deal he really felt. Uh, did he really feel he had to make it? Yeah, I think I think he did. He want to make it again. I think he is kind of playing a role here too. Not faking it. It's, it's, it's maybe a little faking until you're making it. But he's not quite yet the king of the north. He's doing this for his father. He even says here outside of uh, the, the the twins, we got we got to get down. We got to help my dad. We got to do this. So. He's in the position where he has to make the deal, and I think it's a good deal. But this is one of those deals that season two rolls around. He ca- he could not see Talisa uh, coming into his life. He just couldn't see it, right? Um, he doesn't want to marry a Frey girl, but again, it's an easy deal to make. And I, I think honor, deals, whatever you want. To, I think this deal feels like honor to uh, Rob. And when uh, Eamon says uh, says a little bit later on, we all do our duty when there's no cost to it. I think Rob understands the ramifications, but right at this moment, there's no cost for him. Get the bridge, get dad, and we're good. A little bit later, Talisa comes along. Eamon wasn't talking to him, but he might as well have been, right? Love is the death of duty. Your duty was this deal. Part of your duty was this deal you made. Rob wasn't prepared. So, again, playing a little bit of a role. Easy to do this right now. Very noble thing to do. Part of the reason I think he he could have been elected uh, King of the North there. Elected? Well, he didn't, he didn't run off, but named King of the Lord, North. What a sacrifice. What a great sacrifice. The son of Ned, willing to marry a fray girl. That's not a, that's not a good thing, right? No one knows that Rosalind Frey exists, really. Marrying a Frey girl can't be good for our king, but he's willing to do it. He's willing to make these sacrifices, and he's willing to give up Arya, who's also going to marry a Frey girl, right? He's going to take on a squire, Oliver. Uh, and, and, and Walder Frey wants him to be made a knight pretty quickly. He's doing all these things, and he's doing it for us. Seems great. Ra rah, rah. Rob's going to make this deal. Roll to play. We'll give him an even uh, more powerful role. King of the North. Season two starts to unravel. Talisa shows up. Love is the death of duty. Now there's a cost to the deal, a cost to the honor you have out there. And um, I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. I also think too, um, going back here, looking at looking a little closer at Rob. We we talk often on this show about important fo- foreshadowing and things with more meaning. And sometimes they're those little sweet things, and sometimes they're just prophecy things, or just hey, the show's telling us this. Rob, without a doubt, by season three, up leading up to Red Red Wedding, he's lost his way, and, and the the Karstark uh, beheading and all the stuff that led up to that. Trusting Roos, I don't think that's necessarily. Rob's fault at the start. It's one of his father's bannermen. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going along. The Talisa thing. 
um, the showing mercy to prisoners and kind of not maybe reading the tone of his room. But I still think Rob's doing good things, right? I think he would have been a good king. King of the North or King on the Iron Throne for me. I think I think all would have worked. But I hear me out here. I think looking back, Rob, Rob was losing from the start. We we he was on a dark path. We were just rooting for him. And I don't mean that in the sense like Daenerys, where we've talked previously about she's she's killing bad men and we're cheering her, which again, we should. Um, bigger things, bigger lessons to learn there. But with Rob, we're just we're rooting for him, especially again. I, I say how many how many times do I say if you haven't read the books, season one, if you're watching in 2011, even even if you don't yet know what's gonna happen at the Sept of Baylor, rooting for Rob, revenge, march down there, save your father, kill the bad folks, take the throne, leave the throne. Doesn't matter. We're rooting for him. So you're not seeing the mistakes he's already making. And this deal is a deal I feel, again, he's in a position where he has to do, has to do it. Probably a good deal. There's no real other way around it. You know, hard to march any faster. Um, They needed to cut across. He had to take it. But he's already losing. He's winning. He's getting to Tywin. Got some big victories under his belt. He's got some bigger even on the way in this episode. But for me, it might just be me. I think he he was down a touchdown before kickoff even started, and we just didn't see it. Uh, all right, so the other deal we want to talk about, a couple more here. Uh, big episode. We know big episode. Uh, we know that, Ken. Uh, the other deal, we got two here. All right. Hear me out here. Shay and Tyrion, they make a deal. Tyrion, do you accept my proposal? That's a deal. Proposals, deals. Uh, then we got Daenerys needing Caldrogo alive and makes that deal. She's already kind of on that path, but here she absolutely makes a deal to keep Caldrogo alive. Only death can pay for life. Both these deals, I think, have long-term effects. They have some short-term effects. With Danny, though, her deal goes completely south. It's a raw deal. She gets a revenge. We'll talk a lot about it in uh, episode 10. Mary Mazdur, all that stuff. So I don't think this deal directly affects Danny right away, other than Cal Drogo gone, and, and, and she has to deal with that. Uh, we'll talk about it next week, but this is one of those, uh, and, and out of it, and out of the Phoenix rising from the ashes, literally, she she is now the mother of dragons. So, unintended consequences, unintended results, possibly. But I think this is a, one of those ones that uh, down the line can get her. Down the line, we can have more t- conversations about Danny down the line. Danny down the line. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good uh, book there. But right here, she makes a she makes this deal. She again. She's all these. All these characters have to make these deals. I think, or or do they? I don't know. That's the question. But I think she, Daenerys Targaryen, is in a position. She has no horde. Uh, Cal Drogo has has dropped, lost it. Very few blood riders willing to stay around. Jorah's right. We could have been ten miles away. We could have been in a shy. Jorah does have, uh, flashing ahead to season three, there's some Jorah needs to have a, probably a little bit more faith in Danny. This episode definitely has that. Next uh, week definitely has that, where Danny has a belief. Jorah's not kind of down with it, but wants to support her, so he goes with it, and, and something bigger, or, or in many cases, good comes out of it. But I think he's he's right. I mean, what are you going to do? What, what would he, he and Danny go to a shy and, you know, open up a bed and breakfast. Like, what, what are you going to do? She has to make this deal, but it costs her. Absolutely um, costs her, but sets her on her path. So, hey, there you go. Shay and Tyrion's deal, we we know. We know where it ends up. We know uh, uh, how it costs both of them, quite frankly. More to that story, obviously, but uh, this this is... This is kind of how it doesn't just get Tyrion in the t- trial. Um, 
but along the way, Shay and his life is both the greatest thing and at times the most painful thing. And in the end, tragic. So this deal will come back to haunt both of them. Shay, I think, makes a deal up top that is, uh, sure, great. I'll, I'll be I'll be your beck and call girl. Well, then we got the pretty woman plot here. I'll pay you 3000 for the week. Uh, starts from that point of view. It obviously grows in something more. We see it right away. The drink, the great, uh, great uh, drinking game, the truth or drink game, that whole sequence, which was a, a reshoot and add on. And once, uh, you know, season one kind of famously short of uh, runtime. So they had to go back and add some scenes. And every scene, I'm telling you, every scene that they went back and added, I mean, I'm trying to think of one that I've known, I know that's an add on that doesn't work. Every one of those scenes is like, oh, that was an add on scene because that's one of the best scenes of, of season one. Jamie and uh, uh, Joy Cassell, uh, uh, the, the Cersei, Robert, uh, marriage holding the, the realm together talk, and, and this one among others. So, I don't know. Take your, take your they needed the books to tell good stories conversation, maybe, I don't know. We'll deal with that another time. I don't want to get negative. Um, but yeah, they know what they're doing when they, when they have these characters together uh, and want to get stuff across. So that's this deal, and... Uh, Again, it, again, it's a theme, but it's just like how you get to, maybe even more of a theme, it's a lesson, how you get to those deals, why you make those deals, but but the position you're in when you make them is key. And and what can you do after, if, if you can? I think Danny, I think Danny finds some success after a, a deal goes wrong. I think that ties into, to add a little bit more to the Daenerys conversation, I don't want to shortchange Daenerys on the conversation for this episode, but... I think a lot of season one is Danny finding herself in these positions and not wanting to be going forward. So she continues to kind of learn these lessons early on. Uh, this one, you know, this deal, they end up at the, you know, at, at Karth, at the, at the doors of Karth indirectly, maybe directly uh, points from this deal, but you know what I mean? That's, Going back to to stuff with uh, her relationship early on with Cal Drogo, uh, taking control of that situation, including on the physical side, never wanting to be um, in compromised positions, uh, positions of uh, where she doesn't have the control, doesn't have the power, uh, is being abused, all those kind of things that are important things for Danny's growth. And I think this is this is one of them too. She 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 she's uh, she's tricked. She's tricked. Zaro uh, Zohandoxus tricks her later on. She even says in season two, we'll get to it, but thank you for this valuable lesson. Miri has given her a valuable lesson as well. So even though Danny made a bad deal, I think it's a great testament to her that she can, she, she takes the hit. She rebounds, rises from the ashes and learns until, well, the lessons run out, I guess we could say. I uh, do like, again, I mentioned the, drinking game and uh, has some thoughts on uh, Tyrion and Shay book versus show. There's this idea here, not a huge thing, but the, the stories that make us and who we are, the trauma game of Thrones does deal with a lot of trauma. Um, and you got the, the, this truth or drink game is, which is what I'm calling it there. Uh, this, this is uh, Brian Cogman said he felt this one Dinklage, the Emmy was this scene in this moment. And unveiling a lot of things. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, we get a lot of these moments, Jamie in the bathtub with Brienne later on. We we get we get all these moments where you get a lot from Cersei, but you, you, you have a certain view of the character and you start to learn more about him. But it's interesting. Early on, we, we start, we're, we're, we, we like Tyrion early on, maybe even as early as the pilot. You get he's not. He's on that team, the Lannisters, but he's not necessarily like the others at all in any way, shape, or form, right? And so you start to love him, but this this more emerges here. This is, to me, pretty big, uh, the, this unveiling of, of who he is, uh, what was done to him, and now we've already met Tywin, and it adds a, it adds a pretty ominous dark layer to it, and it's, uh, it's good. So uh, thoughts on some of the... Some of the things here, uh, get into some book versus show a little bit here. 
so Sybil, uh, Sybil Kikeli comes in as a Shay. This is one of the ones that, that, uh, George R. R. Martin is pretty vocal on and a lot of, you can find a lot of times to the point where I think it's like, ah, all right, we get it, George. You like, uh, you like Sybil. Um, he says uh, that she's not like, she's not, I mean, uh, uh, Shay in the books is from Westeros. Uh, they, to account for uh, Sibel Kikili's German accent, they they changed her to foreign, as she says. Where's your accent from? Foreign. Uh, which I actually like even better. It adds, it adds another layer to it. And George R. Martin has always said that she is she's not the character I wrote. She made it better. And I think that's true. I think Shay is... Um, I don't know, a little one-dimensional, two-dimensional at most in, in the books. Stands out I, enough, but not not to this level. And I, I think, you know, a lot of that is to credit to both of them as performers, but uh, to the stuff that, um, we're again, we're rooting for Tyrion on so many levels. So for him to find any kind of love and someone who's just like, I'm with you, I'm on your level, and I get it, and we get to see it happen, and I think it's uh, it's one of the victories of the show. I really do. I think the way it ends up, it's similar. You know, the, the end result is kind of the same there, right? And it just, it has way more emotional punch in in the show. And it's good because you have to see it. You have to see these actors. You can't read it. You're not reading it. It's a different medium. It's a different experience. It's a different way to tell a story. You get away with things. In the books, you can on the show. I've said, you know, I said it before. I said it on Force Center this week. You, you can, you cannot do an entire season of who is Reek on the show. You can. We go an entire book or more, not knowing really who Reek is. You can't do it. You have to deal. You have to approach it from a different angle. And Tyrion, the show version with Peter Dinklage performing uh, as this character, just breathing so much life into this character. I don't think we, we would have fallen, we would have liked if watching Tyrion fall for someone that we can just view as eh, money grubbing, cash grabbing, calculating sex worker. And, uh, we know he likes whores. We get it. We get it. We get it. Um, I don't think we would have, I don't think it would have been good. So, so this is uh, one of the changes I like. And George R. R. Martin's really behind it. Uh, he talks about the audition, <laughs> the audition process. It's, uh, yeah. 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 I don't want to, I don't want to just go read George Herbert. <laughs> Sometimes George, it's one of the pump the brakes in the way he goes in descriptions of things. Uh, the other, um, the other thing, uh, oh, I do want to, there's, there is a cost to magic. And that's, uh, I was, this is, uh, I think D.B. Weiss was explaining this one to just like, uh, and it's in the, the commentaries after, which, you know, are just wonderful, fascinating, fascinating little, little bits to, of media to watch. You get a lot of insight into the choices made by the producers, which is same in the Fire Cannot Kill Dragon book. And the and the writer, Jim's, James Hibbert, has, has said it. Like, this book will answer why they did the things they did, whether you like it or not. I'm paraphrasing. But but these little things after, they, they're always valuable to watch. And DBY says in, in, in the HBO extras here that, you know, this world, it's, we're seeing the magic. We see the White Walkers coming back, and we we know there's dragons, and and you know the House of the Undying. We'll learn later on. I'm paraphrasing what he's saying here. I'm you know listen to all the stuff we know, but Miriam Asdor is representative of something that's not accepted in 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 Dothraki culture and by a lot of culture. Uh, dark magic, black magic, not good. Varys just absolutely, especially later on, season two and three, just. Yeah, let me tell you why I don't like it. We we have yet to meet Melisandre. I like Melisandre, but a lot of people don't. And with good reason. There is a cost of the magic in this world, and it's gone display here. And I like that it is it is this deal gone bad. We see it as that. Uh, I think that's a little thing. Let's talk about, uh, before we get into some important foreshadowing here on this episode, I do want to get into uh, the Battle of Whispering Wood and the Battle of the Green Fork, and these are battles we don't see. Whispering Wood is uh, where Jamie is captured. Green Fork is where Tyrion is leading the vanguard, and they are dramatically different than the books. I mean, we see them. Uh, Tyrion uh, is much more active in the battle. He's successful in the battle. 
He's up there riding. He gets some kills. This one, he's knocked out kind of comically, wake, wakes up, and the battle, is, the battle is over. We have won. Not really, kind of. It's something they had to do. I think if you're listening, you're watching, you know the reason they had to do it. Budget. Uh, Alan Taylor talks about it, uh, about, yeah, kind of bummed. But it forced us to do something else, and it got me. I got that great shot of Tyrion in the cart and, and, and the angle looking up at Braun, which is, is one of my favorite little uh, little sequences in season one, too. Like, low-key, one of my favorite ones there. So I, I understand why. I th- You can't complain. Budget, it's just something. It's just something. Unless you're George R. Martin, you can complain about the king hunting. Uh, I, I get it. But, you know, it is what it is. And I think they made... Some great choices. I think the the Battle of Whispering Wood, uh, you know, Roger Cassell and and uh, Lady Catelyn kind of waiting. Um, let's go, Lady. It's not good. You don't know if Rob's going to survive, and they emerge, and then they got Jamie. I, I I I think that's more effective for me than seeing a big battle. We had yet to see Blackwater. They knew they had Blackwater was. That's where they had to kind of put a lot of uh, the, the the money into, especially in, in season two, and they knew they were going to get to that. And, uh, you know, season eight is a ton of battles. I love them. Season seven, season, season six. By Hard Home, actually by Watchers on the Wall, uh, Neil Marshall, I think you're, you're, you're just raising raising the, the stakes on battles and what we want to see in our TV and what we expect to see. But I still love Battle of Blackwater Bay because it's smaller and intimate. They had to work with what they got. And I still like this moment, these two moments in the show. I actually like how they, they worked out. I, I would understand if I, was a, if I was a book reader prior to season one, I might be upset a little bit at Battle of the Green Fork. I actually, probably both. But Battle of, you know, Tyrion, Tyrion, to me, gets a moment. He gets a moment. And he's robbed of that moment here. But it is what it is. Um, and it works for me. But we had to talk about that. All right. So uh, we're going to do some important foreshadowing. We got a call from Donald Long. Donald Long's got a call about Eamon and John. Hey, Castro Talk. In this episode, we get a great scene with Amon and John and the choices between honor, family, and love and how that kind of, and how that will come back and foreshadow multiple times throughout the rest of the series and John's story and how John's choices and things and how honor sometimes is the best, but not awesome, but also sometimes not the most important. But every time John has to make this decision, John will choose honor. With the, when Rob gets killed, he chooses, he runs away, but he chooses honor and comes back. When he has to choose love, Ingrid, he chooses honor yet again and goes back, honor his vows, then Night's Watch and goes back. But Daenerys gets a lot muddier, but essentially he chooses honor yet again. But and, also, and how Amon reveals itself is also fun to look at in maybe 50 years. John will have to have the speech again to some little kid that comes along just like him and reveal who he really is. Thanks. I love that idea of uh, 50 years from now, uh, you know, Tormund Jainsbane's uh, grandson or something wants to run off and uh, head back down south to get revenge or something. I don't want bad things to happen to Tormund. Great call there. Donna Long actually really loved this call, talking about guiding lights, guiding principles for our characters. Uh, John in honor, John in love. I absolutely love that. It is the path forward for him. You're right. He always comes back to that when forced to choose, when asked to choose. He comes back to that. He starts off as, I should be there. When he gets a word from Sam, he gets a word from Jor, Jor Mormont. I mean, uh, you know, he, he, I should be there. I should be there with Rob. And it, it, uh, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Uh, but to, to grow from that and, and the valuable lesson, one of the best, uh, just uh, to me, one of the most powerful quotes, uh, you know, Eamon answering, you know, so they will not love. Love is the death of duty. If the day should ever come when your Lord Father was forced to choose between honor on the one hand and those he loves on the other, what would he do? We're minutes away from Ned Stark making that decision. And he chooses the ones he loves. And it costs them. In that moment, there's choices Ned made leading up to this. Again, getting himself into this position where he had to make this deal that might have been bad and ends up bad. I think that's um, that's interesting to me, you know, that once he's there, though, this is what Ned chooses, and John, too, is going to choose that time and time again. And perhaps, perhaps, hear me out, perhaps in the very end, John chooses the one love that he's never really given to, 
And that is kind of the love of himself, not in an ego way, but just a self-care way. You know who I haven't said I love, I love you to? Me. I like me. I love me. I'm going to choose me right now, and I'm walking away from it all and going, going north. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe that goes all the way to the end. Good stuff there. Important uh, foreshadowing and things with more meaning now. Walder Frey. Oh, yes. I said some words, and I swore oaths to the crown, too, if I remember right. And he follows it up a beat, few couple beats later with Catelyn. I'd hand you both over to the Lannisters. Well, there you go. <laughs> You're making this deal with late Walder Frey. But in the deal, he's telling you, I don't like any of you. I should just turn you over to the Lannisters. Catelyn gets told that, and I she definitely, not Catelyn's fault, definitely presses the importance of this deal with Rob Stark, particularly in season two, when she kind of is like, hmm, who's Talisa? Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice maybe if Rob just learned this lesson or maybe heard it from Walder Frey himself at this moment. I don't know. Uh, again, not Catelyn's fault. I had a great idea for her to go negotiate. Love that there. Playing roles, playing roles. Uh, Jordan, Danny, here they value strength. Uh, talking to Danny about um, birthright and who sits on the throne and heirs and legacy and chains of secession, all those kind of things. This is what she, this is what Danny is raised to. No, believe, right? They're waiting for my brother over there. That's what I'm told. Oh, he's not worthy. They're waiting for me, right? And now I'm here. Now this isn't even about the Iron Throne. Now I'm here. I am the Khaleesi. For Jordan to tell her pretty simply, hey, here, they value strength, is another lesson that Danny listens to. She's smart. She's ahead of the game. Great moments in season three where she's like, cool, uh, Barristan, Jorah, if you doubt me again, there'll be consequences. I know what I'm doing. She does make mistakes along the way. She does get frustrated. Uh, frustrating. Uh, Ace and I have talked about that. Danny, Danny Marine can get kind of like, come on, Danny. But I think especially early on, she is learning the lessons, taking them to heart, and this one here. Hey, here, I'm adding the hey, by the way. Here they value strength. Danny realizes that Quite frankly, maybe everywhere they value strength. And that's how to best get your point across or best get what you want. Um, you're a dragon. Be a dragon is something she hears later on when she maybe is moving away from this. It's not always right. I don't think that the definition of strength could be a problem. You, you, could, you could misinterpret it at times. Um, but this is, a, this is, to me, think, this line has more meaning. Not necessarily foreshadowing. I'm not submitting this as foreshadowing. I'm, I'm submitting this as... Interesting that George told her this early on and that she clearly listened. Favorite moments, lines, and scenes. We've talked a lot about the scenes. I love Vera screaming, I want you to serve the realm. I really do. I think it's powerful. Now that we've really got it, you know, we're focused on the fact that this is what Varys believes. This is the kind of stuff he's about. I love that. Jorah passing uh, Longclaw on. Small, touching scene. It, it, it definitely means more when, you know, you go to season seven. It does say something about Jorah. I love that moment. Um, I mentioned before, but I'll highlight it again. Aemon Targaryen saying, we all do our duty when there is no cost to it. I just love that. And the whole sequence with Aemon's reveal. I especially remember watching it on this day back in 2011. I, I guess I didn't really have a sense of who Aemon might be. I, I, again, not even about the books, but just watching it face value on the show. Um. I just thought he was an old maester, right? I didn't, nothing about it stood out. So when he starts, when he started telling his story, I was as pulled in, intrigued, and just, it was as gripping to me as it was to Jon Snow in this scene. I mean, I'm just leaning over too, looking at at the TV. It's like, who is he? Who is he? Oh my God. And it's, it's, it's a powerful moment. We do have a, a kind of a written question too, uh, about this one here. And it does come from uh, our good buddy, Donald Long, as well. And he writes this. He put this on my Discord page, which is uh, attached to my Patreon page. He says, hey, Ken, I, I didn't want to uh, take up two calls this week. Well, you know, 
Donald, take as many calls as you want. Your calls are great. So he has a what if here. He says, what if Eamon wasn't blind at the time John made it to the wall? And now I know he's sand blind. He's, he's maybe a little more legally blind, but uh, Donald's point remains. What if he wasn't blind at the time John made it to the wall? Will he recognize or, or have a hint of who John really is? Uh, because we do know in the books, at least, um, so it still might have happened in the show version, that Eamon and Rhaegar sent letters to each other, so who knows what they said to each other. How would that not only change John's journey, but also the whole story after that? Uh, Donald adds, you don't have to answer this if you don't want, but I just thought I'd ask. No, I, I, you know, the thing with what ifs, I don't ever really know. You have to find the themes and carry those out sometimes when you're predicting things or going back and looking at things. Yeah, whether or not Eamon and Rhaegar exchange letters in this world, this version of the world, I, th- I think it. I think it's, I, I could go along with that, and I think that's the case. Would it, Would Rhaegar have told him that? I think... I think Rhaegar would have kept that. I, I'm get. I think Rhaegar would have kept that from him. But I don't know. Depending on the relationship, Uncle Eamon, man, I, I met a I met a girl, man. Aren't you married? Yeah, I met a girl. We're in love. I had my marriage annulled. I don't. I don't know. Uh, would have. It seems risky that that would have been out in the world. But uh, even beyond that, again, Maester Eamon, particularly in season one, maybe not as blind as as he's chopping meat. Um, but Peter Vaughn was legally blind as well. There's some conversations in the book that I've been reading as well of that scene of like, will we have a blind man cut the meat? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm the actor and I'm doing it and I am legally blind. So we're good. So John looks different enough. Does he sound, um, act, walk? I mean, there's a lot of things that could have been clues to him being Rhaegar's uh, kid, but it, it, does he have more Lyanna's blood in him? You know, is it, does, is it, does, what, what, where's the genes falling here? I don't know. So it's a fun question. I, I, and how would it have changed the journey? I mean, I think, does Eamon go, if Eamon figures it out, does Eamon go into super protective mode? Does he just want to keep things status quo? Uh, Ned goes out of his way to protect this Targaryen uh, child. Uh, I mean, Ned goes the distance protecting him. Would Eamon want to do it too? Eamon saying a, a Targaryen alone in the world. I mean that 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 always you know it goes for Danny and it goes for for John clearly. So powerful stuff. I don't know that answer. You guys out there want to answer those what ifs? Let me know. Um, little lines. Uh, oh, I do. I, I like Sir Alistair being sent away. Um, it's I think it's somewhere. It's later kind of explained. Betty off or Weiss or someone has explained in some interview somewhere because Alistair goes down with the, that hand, uh, the the severed hand to, to show everyone, hey, it, 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 there's a problem and nothing really comes of it uh, in the show. They never really deal with it again. So the show answer was like, ah, the hand kind of disintegrated by the time he got there and it was an, it was a nothing burger. Uh, uh, in the book, there's a little bit more. He does go to recruit, recruit men of the Night Watch. He's mocked by Tyrion, kind of uh, Tyrion uh, being an old rival for him here and now more in a position of power. Uh, and also mocked for the White Walker story. Uh, a lot of stuff there. So I, I do like that beat. It's a nod to, to the book story, but uh, not and, and doesn't go much further than that. And we know Alistair comes on back. Tyrion, one of my favorite quotes, Shaga likes axes. God, I love that quote. I love I love everything Tyrion says about the, the, the moon crows and the burnt men and all those kind of things. Uh, the moon, uh, just great. Uh, Mary's line of the dead will dance here tonight. I, You know, it's a haunting sequence. I just like that line. I think you can use that at a party. It's a good line. Same sequence, but Jorah saying, no further, horse lord and Dothraki. I love that too. I don't know. I don't know where you could use that. Find some out. Um, I also like little. Um, I like little moments here when when Jamie shows up. He's captured. Jamie's being. He's his snarky self. Offers the 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 duel uh, as a way out. And I, I like uh, I like Rob saying, you know, if we did it your way, uh, you'd win. But Rob saying, we're not doing it your way, Kingslayer. Love that. And for that, I just love Charles Dance so much and the way he delivers lines. But the um, where was Rob Stark? I don't know, with his other 18,000 men. That's a great read. I love that. Um, so final, like, favorite scene, moment, line, whatever. I, I, I'd be, be remiss if we just didn't actually discuss Ned's death and the sequence. I think Ned's death remains one of the best directed and best conceived sequences in the show. 
Alan, Alan Taylor talks about focusing in on Arya and Sansa. There's actually some shots, almost like kind of steady cam, uh, you know, off a tripod kind of shaky cam, almost zooms in, zoom ins on Sansa and, and Arya and how you're seeing it through their eyes. And there's also great um, Ned looking out and seeing his perspective of kind of looking out uh, and focusing it on him. Uh, I think it's I think it's beautiful, and, and one of the more heartbreaking scenes in all of Game of Thrones for me, one of the heartbreaking moments, I should say, is is Arya sitting on on the statue there, Baylor, and just watching the citizens, the town folk, the the small folk, screaming for her father's head, screaming for blood. It's it's it gets you. It it's and it it exposes kind of the humanity of this world, and you're looking at at Arya, and you know where she kind of goes. And I think the hound, you know, she she maybe her list might have included everyone in that in that uh, in that uh, in that uh, uh, audience if, if she could have had her way. That kind of bitterness, that kind of vengeance, eating her up. And I, and I think I think the hound in, in season eight kind of saves her from that. We've talked about that previous on Game of Thrones. I can't wait to discuss that when we finally get to season eight on the rewatch here. But. Uh, Arya's released to that, but in this moment, just seeing everything—it's it's painful. It's it's painful, and I love uh, Yorn Francis McGee's greatest Yorn. I just uh, I love it, and and the shot of of Ned again going to this idea of Ned, one of his constants is children, protecting the children, John raising John, not wanting Danny killed, giving Cersei the chance to leave town with her kids, kind of respecting Cersei a little bit for being a mother who loves her kids, you know, all those kind of things. And the, one of the last things, just looking at and, and seeing that Arya's not there, it's a little bit of comfort in that, in that, in that big, powerful moment. Episode stars, there's a ton. Uh, Peter Dinklage, this is, uh, I agree, Cogman, probably the episode that won him the Emmy. Uh, Sibel Kikili, I, I, I think she's great. I think she comes, I know some people don't like her, um, but I, I think she she really did own that character, make it her own. Uh, own that character, make it her own. That makes sense. Yeah, no, but good. But here's here's my episode star. I'll say this: David Bradley is Walder Frey. He's a long career, long career. But when he pops up, you're like Harry Potter, yay! Oh, he's pretty nasty. Just a great performer. Just a great performer. Does such a good job, and particularly here in these in these the first moments we meet him. Just you hate him. You hate him, and I don't think you get it. I don't think you're like on his side, but when he starts saying that stuff to Catelyn Stark, when he's like, don't just don't lie to me. You, you've always looked down on us. Your house has always looked down on us. Late Walder Frey. F you. It's one of those things where Game of Thrones does so well where you're like, I mean, okay, you know, he has a point. Yeah, he has a point, but he's earned that. And David Bradley did such a great job as Walder Frey. All right. All right. We, we did it. We did it. We did. Uh, we did Baylor. We absolutely did uh, Baylor. Uh, an episode that uh, it's just again going back to going back to that day. Going back to that. Uh, uh, going back to the moment it happened. I was house sitting for someone. I was sitting with on a on a bed in sweatpants with socks on. I remember it was, it was, it was not cold, but I, I, I had socks on. I was, I think I was getting ready to work out after I had a, I'll watch this episode. I'll go, go for a walk with the dog. I was house sitting with this dog. And I just remember sitting there in that bed and then Christian calls and, and for about 30, 35 minutes of us just going, I can't, I can't believe I can't. And so this, uh, this is episode. This is one of the big, biggest pop culture moments. So, uh, I tried my best to uh, break it uh, break it down. I hope you're okay with uh, me looking at Baylor by myself here. Uh, we'll uh, carry on. Next up is, of course, Fire and Blood, the end of season one. It's been a lot of fun doing this rewatch here with all of you on Casterly Talk, even though sometimes I'm talking about myself. Really, I'm not alone with your great calls that you all can make from Anchor. Just go to the Anchor app. Um, sometimes I am having a search issue if you're looking for us on Anchor. So uh, just go to the tweets, uh, follow me at Kednapsock or M Drive Media for Morning Drive Media or to our Facebook page, just like us at Casterly Talk. And you can link directly to the Anchor site from there. And you can call, leave a message. Uh, you love hearing from all of you. It, it feels like we're all in this 
together. You can go to catnapsock.com for all the other things I do. You can support me at patreon.com slash catnapsock, or you can support this show directly on Anchor as well. Or just, hey, tell a friend about Casterly Talk. Say, hey, you think, you think you're done watching Game of Thrones? It's not done. It lives on. And Ken's talking about it. So uh, thanks for those watching on YouTube as well. You can uh, like and hit bells and subscribe to my channel, all those kind of things. I ain't a YouTuber. I just like dipping my toe in the water. But it's a lot of fun doing Casterly Talk with all of you here. So that is it for this week. We'll see you next week for Fire and Blood here on Casterly Talk. <laughs>